Hi, Libby. Hello. Hi. Ni hao. Um, hola, que tal? Como te llamas? Hola, que tal? Como estas? Donde va? Okay, I know that doesn't make sense, but it's song. Like I'm saying, it's song. It's just whatever. It's embedded in my brain. But anyway, okay. Um, uh, what's up? I'm sorry, not sorry. Okay. For those of you who are not Libby, who are listening to this actively and like eagerly awaiting, I don't know if that's a thing. Are you eagerly awaiting? Would you eagerly await me? I mean, what? Uh, uh, um, it's, <clears throat> it's a miracle to me. <laughs> it's incredible. Um, that some people actually like to listen to me. Interesting. So interesting, Lib. Don't you think? Don't you think it's interesting too? But, um, I don't know. What happened since, I guess? What I've got to say is, first of all, before I forget, because I always forget. And if I've forgotten you, please, if you've reached out to me before and I didn't shout you out here, you know what I mean? Then you need to let me know because I forgot. I'm sorry. So this is a shout out for one Ariana or Ariana. <laughs> I don't know how to say it, as you, I'm sure, have gathered from listening to me read the name. Um, Wazoo. Hello. What's good? Um, love hearing from you. It makes me happy. Um, yeah. So, I, I, what's happened since last? I don't know. I literally don't know what day it was that I read to you last. I feel like probably Friday. That feels right. I don't know. Anyway, I, uh, yeah, that sounds right. So today is Monday, April 4th. And is that true? Is that, is that a true fact? Today's Monday. Yeah, yeah, it's a true fact. Monday, April 4th. And okay, I just looked out the window, but I can't look out the window because I've got things obscuring my window because I, I put things over my window to obscure it. But I want the light to come in. That's the thing. I would like the light to come in, but I don't want people to be able to see me. And you know, it's like a give and take. So I've been testing different ways of like gaining privacy, yet allowing the light to flow. And yeah, the results are questionable. So I've done it like, I swear, I've reapplied it a, so many times. All right. So many times. And I'm going to do it again. I'm going to keep doing it. Cause I don't really care because it's my house and I can do whatever I want, which is the sweetest feeling ever, which I don't know why it's taken me so many years for me to be like, I'm going to tear things apart because it's mine and I don't care. Um, so that's kind of how I'm feeling lately, but yeah. So after I'm done reading, I'll probably do something around the house. Hopefully, hopefully I can keep my streak of being productive going instead of being trapped by the couch monster. Um, Anyway, anyway, what else has happened? I had Bible study. Mm-hmm. Mm. Learn something at Bible study. Okay. Here's the thing. I I did not know this. Okay. But and I don't know okay, I'm gonna have to explain this relationship because Libby, it's I know it's not that complicated, but it's complicated enough. So my mom her mom has a sister who also has children, okay? So my mom has some first cousins. And you know Darcy, okay? Darcy is one of my mom's cousin's children. So I don't know, I think, the last time I looked at a family tree, which, I don't know, it's been a while. I want to say that we are, oh, second cousins once removed? First cousin, I don't know. Don't know, okay? 
But anyway, so <laughs> we're at Bonnie's house. So Bonnie is my mom's cousin and her daughters are there and me and a bu- and then other people. There's like other people from other ladies from church. So then there's also Dawn and Sadie and Sadie's daughter, Annalise. And then I should have said this. I should have mentioned Alexa when I was talking about family because Alexa is Andrew's fiance. So anyway, so this is the crowd. And um, I don't know what, I don't not know what we were talking about. But at some point, Bonnie mentioned that I had a, basically that her brother used to call me Devil Spawn. That was the nickname that he had for me. It was the Devil Spawn. That's what he called me as a child. Okay. I have hated this man my whole life. <laughs> and I seriously, it's just like the cherry on top for it to be like, okay, well, I guess I never had a chance in his mind for him to coin me the devil spawn, like as a allegedly Christian man. And then the other thing, you know, countless abuses, he is not physical abuse, but just like being unnecessarily mean as an adult man to a child girl. (laughs) And I do not know what it is. I guess, I don't know. I assume, I always just assume that it's because I intimidate him. And the thing about it is, is that for my family, all the women are either of average or I guess below average height. So my mom's like the tallest, next tallest woman and she's 5'5". Five five. And I'm like, I don't know, 5'8 or 5'9". And so then like literally all of them, they're so small. And so when I hug them, they're like tiny to me, but whatever. So it's been a thing my whole life to be made fun of that I'm huge, <laughs> which, oh wow, so hilarious. Okay, something that I was born, like, okay, well, I guess everything's fair. I'll make fun of you for being small. But um, anyway, that's not the point. Okay. Okay. Anyway, so the point is that there's also a story that he loves to tell as how I shoved him into a locker. He alleges that I shoved him into a locker. And I will tell you what actually... Okay, which also as an adult man against a child girl, like what... Who are you proving? Like, what are you trying to prove except that you are a loser? Like, that's all you're proving to me by... (laughs) I don't know why you think this is like... Anyway, so I will tell... This is what I remember. He says I shoved him into a locker. I'll tell you this. This is when we were in junior high. All right, you remember junior high, Lib. The building is just a turd of a rectangle. And you just... Everyone was coming down the hallway, leaving to go home at the same time and you are all everyone is flooding the hallway going what direction north going I don't know how okay I can't I'm trying to I'm trying to think but I don't know north maybe anyway so he's walking south okay against a horde a mass of I don't know what we were eighth graders and I saw my opportunity Okay, I was flowing with the crowd and literally all I did was put my shoulder down and not give in to him trying to walk through me. And did that cause him to be shoved into a locker? I don't know. I don't give a shit. <laughs> Honestly, I never paid attention. I was just like, um, you're going against the flow of, 
of traffic. I'm not moving out of your way. Like, I'm moving with the crowd here. And I just put my shoulder into it and he flew into a locker. Okay, wow. What a hilarious story to make fun of me. Is that is that what you're trying... That's, that's your object of your game to bite? Because to me, this sounds like... He's, it sounds like he's an absolute goon of a loser, right, Lib? Okay, I don't know if you know the man because, I mean, I don't know because it's Darcy's dad. So if you've met him, then you know who I'm talking about. But anyway, um, yeah, so <laughs> uh, I guess whatever. So that happened. So I did not, my mother and I afterwards were like, oh yeah, we didn't know that. Like I'd never heard him say that. That I was de- the devil's spawn. But we both decided not to tell my father because my father would most certainly take it exactly like the way that Jim would have meant it towards him. If he, like, I guess, because what else are you saying? You know what I mean? Okay, whatever. I, so that happened. <laughs> and I just brushed it off, like, whatever. But, um, like, I just embraced it, like, sure, I, whatever. Um, I'm the devil spawn. And, um, one of the ladies was like, well, I like this devil spawn. I was like, thank you. Because <laughs> this story is not like, I need the, re- you know what I mean? I need the affirmation, but yeah. So whatever, whatever we, we got on a tangent then we're getting on a tangent here, but whatever. That's all I have to say about it. Rachel made a great point And she was like, look at you now. Look at how successful you are like compared to him and I'm just like honestly honestly though you're correct you are correct so excuse me but my mouth so dry (laughs) what else happened nothing I don't know I feel like I didn't do anything at all yesterday except lay around and be a couch potato a bum so I there's things there's things I should do around this house (laughs) Um, but yeah, nothing really exciting happened at work today. I, I'm looking ahead to see how long this chapter is. Um, yeah, nothing at all happened at work. Boring, boring. Well, it's kind of short. Okay. This is chapter nine. Oh, actually something, I'll mention this about work. Um, Zach was wearing a shirt that he sewed himself. And I was like, that is a good shirt. That's a nice shirt. It's cute. I like it. I like the print. And it looks good. You did a great job. I'm very proud of you. (laughs) Like, is that weird? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. But I'm impressed. That's what it is. Maybe not proud. Not pride. But like, I'm impressed. And I'm like, I'm, I'm happy that he's found success doing this and fun and enjoyment. You know? Because I think sewing is like a slept on thing. But anyway... Anyway, anyway, anyway. Oh, another thing. I guess I... Maybe you'll have told me by now. Maybe we've had... Oh, we should have this conversation. But what am I going to read next? Pondering. Pondering, pondering. I really don't want to read the... Uh, what is it? The Cursed Child? I really don't want to read that. But if that's what you want, I guess. Anyway... Anyway, anyway. Oh, I didn't mean to... I read a Dr. Seuss book also this weekend. When I was... Because this takes place at Bonnie's house. My mom's cousin. And so, Becca, who graduated a year ahead of us, 
she has two children and one of her oldest is her she's um aria and she's a little girl <laughs> i don't know how old she's poor i don't know anyway so i was reading to her uh because <laughs> bonnie rhetorically said bring me a book and blah 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 and so then she went off looking for a book and she came back with a book and it was a dr seuss book um i don't remember what it was called but it was something about thubble thubble I don't know if I got that right. Okay. There's a lot of made up words and I don't remember, but I was feeling it when I was reading it because I picked it up. And I was like, I've never seen this book before. And so I started reading and then and she was so cute and she wanted me to keep reading. So then I just got reading. She was the cutest thing. She just got looking at, she's like on the couch <laughs> behind Becca, like nestled in. And she was like, just sitting with her chin in her hands and like her knees, like prop her knees, her elbows, like they're, you know, her chin propped up. She was so cute. But, um, yeah. So I, I, I hope I did the rendition well enough, but it did delay our departure. <laughs> anyway. Okay. So I'm actually going to read to you now chapter 29 of Harry Potter and the Deathly Hollows by J.K. Rowling. This chapter 29 is titled The Lost Diadem. 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 <laughs> I don't know. Diadem. I don't. Okay. We're, we're going to see how it comes out. However it comes out, it comes out. All right. The chapter art is. Oh, 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 oh. I feel like I need to get some. This is. I need to like get um, the Spanish version. Like, the chapter art is different. I'm so intrigued by that, too. Intriguing. Anyway, okay, so the chapter art, or my chapter 29, is, um, who this? <laughs> oh, that's Neville, of course. Um, this is Neville, because he was just described to us as, he just described to us, um, his hair is overgrown. He's got cuts on his face. Uh, he's wearing an eye patch. Uh, and he looks raggedy and dirty and kind of like, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, Neville, what the, how? But Neville had spotted Ron and Hermione and with yells of delight was hugging them too. The longer Harry looked at Neville, the worse he appeared. One of his eyes was swollen yellow and purple. There were gouge marks on his face, and his general air of unkemptness suggested that he had been living rough. Nevertheless, his battered visage shone with happiness as he let go of Hermione and said again, I knew you'd come. Kept telling Seamus it was a matter of time. Neville, what's happened to you? What, this? Neville dismissed his injuries with a shake of his head. This is nothing. Seamus is worse, you'll see. Shall we get, shall we get going, then? Oh, turned to Aberforth. Ab. Ab. Abe. You know what I mean? I want to be like Abe, but it's not Abe. It's just written. But you could just pull Abe out of there. But anyway. Ab. <laughs> there might be a couple more people on the way. Couple more? Repeated Aberforth ominously. What do you mean a couple more, Longbottom? There's a curfew and a caterwauling charm on the whole village. I know. That's why they'll be apparating directly into the bar, said Neville. Just send them down the passage when they get here, will you? Thanks a lot. Neville held out his hand to Hermione and helped her to climb up onto the mantelpiece and into the tunnel. Ron followed, 
Then Neville address. Oh, then what am I doing? <laughs> Sorry. Oh my gosh. Then Neville. Harry addressed Aberforth. I don't know how to thank you. You saved our lives twice. Look after him then, said Aberforth gruffly. I might not be able to save him a third time. Harry clambered up onto the mantelpiece and through the hole behind Ariana's portrait. There were small... <laughs> okay. There were smooth stone steps on the other side. It looked as though the passageway had been there for years. Brass lamps hung from the walls and the earthy floor was worn and smooth. As they walked, their shadows rippled fan-like across the wall. How long has this been here? Ron asked as they set off. It isn't on the Marauder's map, is it, Harry? I thought there were only seven passages in and out of the school. They sealed off all of those before the start of the year, said Neville. There's no chance of getting through any of them now, not with curses over the entrances and Death Eaters and Dementors waiting at the exits. He started walking backward, beaming, drinking them in. Never mind that stuff. Is it true? Did you break into Gringotts? Did you escape on a dragon? It's everything everyone's talking about. Terry Boot got beaten up by Carol for yelling about it in the Great Hall at dinner. Yeah, it's true, said Harry. Neville laughed gleefully. <laughs> what did you do with the dragon? Released it into the wild, said Ron. Hermione was all for keeping it as a pet. Don't exaggerate, Ron. But what have you been doing? People have been saying you've just been on the run, Harry. But I don't think so. I think you've been up to something. You're right, said Harry. But tell us about Hogwarts, Neville. We haven't heard anything. It's been, well, it's not really like Hogwarts anymore, said Neville, the smile fading from his face as he spoke. Do you know the, about the Caros? Those two Death Eaters who teach here? They do more than teach, said Neville. They're in charge of all discipline. They like punishment, the Caros. Like Umbridge? Nah, they make her look tame. The other teachers are all supposed to refer to refer us to the Caros if we do anything wrong. They don't, though, if they can avoid it. You can tell they all hate them as much as we do. Amicus, the bloke, he teaches that he teaches what used to be defense against the dark arts, except now it's just the dark arts. We're supposed to practice the Cruciatus curse on people who've earned detentions. What? Harry, Ron, and Hermione's united voices echoed up and down the passage. Yeah, said Neville. That's how I got this one. He pointed at a particularly deep gash on his cheek. I refuse to do it. Some people are into it, though. Crab and Goyle love it. First time they ever been topping anything, I expect. Electo, Amicus's sister, teaches muggle studies, which is compulsory for everyone. We've all got to listen to her explain how muggles are like animals, stupid and dirty, and how they drove wizards into hiding by being vicious toward them, and how the natural order is being reestablished. I got this one, he indicated another slash to his face, for asking her how much muggle blood she and her brother have got. Blimey, Neville, said Ron. There's a time and a place for, a getting, a, for getting a smart mouth. You didn't hear her, said Neville. You wouldn't have stood it either. The thing is... It helps when people stand up to them. It gives everyone hope. I used to notice that when you did it, Harry. But they've used you as a knife sharpener, said Ron, wincing slightly as they wincing slightly as they passed a lamp, and Neville's injuries were thrown into either greater relief. 
even what am I saying either did I say either I'm so sorry I don't know what I'm saying sometimes it doesn't make sense just keep rolling with me (laughs) because that's well sometimes it doesn't make sense and I swear that's what's written on the page but maybe that's in my own head it doesn't make sense maybe it makes sense to someone but sometimes I just say words that don't make sense at all and for that I really apologize Neville shrugged. Doesn't matter. They don't want to spill too much pure blood, so they'll torture us a bit if we're mouthy, but they won't actually kill us. Harry did not know what was worse. The things that Neville was saying, or the matter-of-fact tone in which he said them. The only people in real danger are the ones whose friends and relatives on the outside are giving trouble. They get taken hostage. Old Zeno Lovegood was getting a bit too outspoken in the quibbler, so they dragged Luna off the train on the way back for Christmas. From- on the way back for Christmas. Neville, she's all right. We've seen her. Yeah, I know. She managed to get a message to me. From his pocket, he pulled a golden coin, and Harry recognized it as one of the fake galleons that Dumbledore's army had used. Hello. Yes, my dude. Most certainly can come up here. Okay, just one moment. <laughs> okay. Anyway, where was I? Yes. Fake galleons from Dumbledore's army had used to send one another messages. These have been great, said Neville, beaming at Hermione. The carols never rumbled how we were... Never rumbled how we were communicating. It drove them mad. We used to sneak out at night and put graffiti on the walls. Dumbledore's army. Still recruiting. Stuff like that. Snape hated it. Scooty. Move. No. Booker. Move out of the way. Snape hated it. You used to, said Harry, who had noticed the past tense. Well, it got more difficult as time went on, said Neville. We lost Luna at Christmas, and Ginny never came back after Easter, and the three of us were sort of the leaders. The Carrows seemed to know I was behind a lot of it, so they started coming down on me hard, and then Michael Corner went and got caught releasing a first year they'd chained up, and they tortured him pretty badly. That scared people off. No kidding, muttered Ron, as the passage began to slope upward. Yeah, well, I couldn't ask people to go through what Michael did, so we dropped those kinds of stunts. But we were still fighting, doing underground stuff, right up until a couple we- couple of weeks ago. That's when we decided. That's when they decided. There was only one way to stop me, I suppose. And they went for Gran. They what? said Harry, Ron, and Hermione together. Yeah, said Neville, panting a little now because the passage was climbing so steeply. Well, you can see their thinking. It had worked really well, kidnapping kids to force their relatives to behave. I suppose it was only a matter of time before they did it the other way around. Thing was, he faced them, and Harry was astonished to see that he was grinning. They bit off a bit more than they could chew with Gran. Little old witch lit- Scooty. Please move out of the way. Thank you so much. Okay. Oh, little old witch living alone. They probably thought they didn't need to send anyone particularly powerful. Anyway, Neville laughed. (laughs) Dawlish is still in St. Mungo's and Gran's on the run. She sent me a letter. He clapped a hand to the breast pocket of his robes, telling me she was proud of me, that I'm my parent's son, and to keep it up. Oh my god, that's literally, I just want to start crying. And that makes me want to cry, reading that. Okay, I need to get my stuff together. (laughs) 
cool, said Ron. Yeah, said Neville happily. Only thing was, once they realized they had no hold over me, they decided Hogwarts could do without me after all. I don't know whether they were planning to kill me or send me to Azkaban. Either way, I knew it was time to disappear. But, said Ron, looking thoroughly confused, aren't, aren't we heading straight back into Hogwarts? Course, said Neville. You'll see, we're here. They turned a corner, and there ahead of them was the end of the passage. Another short flight of steps led to a door just like the one hidden behind Ariana's portrait. Neville pushed it open and climbed through. As Harry followed, he heard Neville call out to unseen people. Look who it is! Didn't I tell you? As Harry emerged into the room beyond the passage, there were several screams and yells. Harry! It's Potter! It's Potter! Ron! Hermione? It had a confu- he had a confused confu- he had a confused impression of colored hangings, of lamps and many faces. The next moment, he, Ron, and Hermione were engulfed, hugged, pounded on the back, their hair ruffled, their hands shaken by what seemed to be more than twenty people. They might have just won a Quidditch final. Later, Scooty. Okay, okay, calm down. Neville called, and as the- okay. I can hear a difference when I do when I move my book. Oh, interesting. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe it's not a difference. Maybe I'm crazy. Never mind. Whatever. I'm going to keep going. I'm sorry if it sounds terrible. <laughs> okay, okay. Calm down, Neville called. And as the crowd backed away, Harry was able to take in their surroundings. He did not recognize the room at all. It was enormous and looked rather like the interior of a particularly sumptuous treehouse. Or perhaps... Or her, perhaps a gigantic ship's cabin. Multi-colored multi, <laughs> hammocks were strung from the ceiling and from a balcony that ran around the dark wood-paneled and windowless walls, which were covered in bright tapestry hangings. Harry saw the gold Gryffindor lion emblazoned on scarlet, the black badger of Hufflepuff set against yellow, and the bronze eagle of Ravenclaw on blue. The silver and green of Slytherin alone were absent. They were bulging, there were bulging bookcases, a few broomsticks propped against the walls, and in the corner, a large wooden case, a large wooden cased wireless. Wooden cased wireless. Is this a radio? Is that what a wireless is? Am I dumb? <laughs> okay. Whatever. Where are we? Room of requirement, of course, said Neville. Surpassed itself, hasn't it? The Carrows were chasing me, and I knew I had just one chance for a hideout. I managed to get through the door, and this is what I found. Well, it wasn't exactly like this when I arrived. It was a load smaller. There was only one hammock and just Gryffindor hangings. But it's expanded as more and more of the DA have arrived. And the Carrows can't get in? asked Harry, looking around for the door. No, said Seamus Finnegan whom Harry had not recognized until he spoke. Seamus's face was bruised and puffy. It's a proper hideout. As long as one of us stays in here, they can't get at us. The door won't open. It's all down to Neville. He really gets this room. You've got to ask it for exactly what you need. Like, I don't want any Caro supporters to be able to get in, and it'll do it for you. What? What, what am I saying? Yeah, that's what it says. I feel like I didn't read that with the right inflection. I'm sorry. And I'll do it for you. You've just got to make sure you close the loopholes. Neville's the man. 
It's quite straightforward, really, said Neville modestly. I'd been in here about a day and a half and getting really hungry and wishing I could get something to eat, and that's when the passage to the hog's head opened up. I went through it and met Aberforth. He's been, he's been providing us with food, because for some reason, that's the one thing the room doesn't really do. Yeah, well, food's one of the five exceptions to Gamp's law of elemental transfiguration, said Ron, to general astonishment. So, we've been hiding out here for nearly two weeks, said Seamus, and it just makes more hammocks every time we need them, and it even sprouted a pretty good bathroom once girls started turning up. And thought they'd quite like to wash, yes, supplied Lavender Brown, whom Harry had not noticed until that point. Now that he had looked around properly, he recognized many familiar faces. Both Patil twins were there, as were Terry Boot, Ernie McMillan, Anthony Goldstein, and Michael Corner. Tell us what you've been up to, though, said Ernie. There have been so many rumors we've been trying to keep up with you on Potter Watch. He pointed at the wireless. You didn't break into Gringotts? They did, said Neville, and the dragon's true, too. There was a smattering of applause and a few whoops. Ron took a vow. What were you after? asked Seamus eagerly. Before any of them could parry the question with one of their own, Harry felt a terrible scorching pain in the lightning scar. As he turned his back hastily on the curious and delighted faces, the room of requirement vanished, and he was standing inside a ruined stone shack, and the rotting floorboards were ripped apart at his feet. A disinterred golden box lay open and empty beside the hole, and Voldemort's scream of fury vibrated inside his head. With an enormous effort, he pulled out of Voldemort's mind again, back to where he stood, swaying in the room of requirement, sweat pouring from his face, and Ron holding him up. "'Are you all right, Harry?' Neville was saying. "'Want to sit down?' "'I expect you're tired, aren't—' "'No,' said Harry. He looked at Ron and Hermione, trying to tell them without words that Voldemort had just discovered the loss of one of the Horcruxes. Time was running out fast. If Voldemort chose to visit Hogwarts next, they would miss their chance. We need to get going, he said, and their expressions told him that they understood. What are we going to do then, Harry? asked Seamus. What's the plan? Plan? repeated Harry. He was exercising all his willpower to prevent himself succumbing again to Voldemort's rage. His scar was still burning. Well, there's something we, Ron, Hermione, and I need to do, and then we'll get out of here. Nobody was laughing or whooping anymore. Ron looked conf I'm sorry, what am I saying? Why do I just say names that aren't there? Neville looked confused. What do you mean, get out of here? We haven't come back to stay, said Harry, rubbing his scar, trying to soothe the pain. There's something important we need to do. What is it? I, I can't tell you. There was a ripple of muttering at this. Neville's brows contracted. Why can't you tell us? It's something to do with fighting you-know-who, right? Well, yeah. Then we'll help you. The other members of Dumbledore's army were nodding, some enthusiastically, others solemnly. A couple of them rose from their chairs to demonstrate their willingness for immediate action. You don't understand, Harry seemed to have said that a lot... He seemed to have said that a lot in the fa last few hours. We... We can't tell you. We've got to do it alone. Why? asked Neville. Because, in his desperation to start looking for the missing Horcrux, 
or at least to have a private discussion with Ron and Hermione about where they might commence their search. Harry found it difficult to gather his thoughts. His scar was still searing. Dumbledore left the three of us a job, he said carefully, and we weren't supposed to tell. I mean, he wanted us to do it, just the three of us. We're his army, said Neville. Dumbledore's army. We were all in it together. We've been keeping it going while you three have been off on your own. It hasn't exactly been a picnic, mate, said Ron. I never said it had, but I don't see why you can't trust us. Everyone in this room's been fighting, and they've been driven in here because the Carrows were hunting them down. Everyone in here's proven they're loyal to Dumbledore. Loyal to you. Look, Harry began, without knowing what he was going to say, but it did not matter. The tunnel door had just opened behind him. We got your message, Neville. Hello, you three. I thought you must be here. It was Luna and Dean. Seamus gave a great roar of delight and ran to hug his best friend. Mm. Swig. So sorry. Hi, everyone, said Luna happily. Oh, it's great to be back. Luna, said Harry distractedly, what are you doing here? How did you... I sent for her, said Neville, holding up the fake galleon. I promised her and Ginny that if you turned up, I'd let them know. We all thought that if you came back, it would mean revolution, that we were going to overthrow Snape and the Carrows. Of course that's what it means, said Luna brightly. Isn't it, Harry? We're going to fight them out of Hogwarts? Listen, said Harry with a rising sense of panic. I'm sorry, but that's not what we came back for. There's nothing we've got to... <laughs> what am I saying? There's nothing. There's something we've got to do, and then... You're going to leave us in this mess? Demanded Michael Corner. No, said Ron. What we're, go what we're doing will benefit everyone in the end, and it's all about trying to get rid of you-know-who. Then let us help, said Neville angrily. We want to be part of it. We want to be a part of it. There was another noise behind them, and Harry turned. His heart seemed to fail. Oh my goodness, I have hiccups and hiccup burps. That's all right. Ginny was now climbing through the hole in the wall, closely, follow, fl closely followed by Fred, George, and Lee Jordan. Ginny, <laughs> names are hard. Ginny gave Harry a radiant smile. He had forgotten or had never fully appreciated how beautiful she was, but he had never been less pleased to see her. Aberforth's getting a bit annoyed, said Fred, raising his hand in answer to several cries of greeting. He wants a kip, and his bars turned into a railway station. Harry's mouth fell open. Right behind Lee Jordan came Harry's old girlfriend, Cho Chang. She smiled at him. I got the message, she said, holding up her own fake galleon, and she walked over to sit beside Michael Corner. So, what's the plan, Harry? There isn't one... I'm sorry. So, what's the plan, Harry? said George. <laughs> Sorry, just keep right past that. There isn't one, said Harry, still disoriented by the sudden appearance of all these people unable to take everything in while his scar was still burning so fiercely. Just going to make it up as we go along, are we? My favorite kind, said Fred. You've got to stop this, Harry told Neville. What did you call them all back for? This is insane. We're fighting, aren't we? said Dean, taking out his fake galleon. The message said that Harry was back and we were going to fight. I'll have to get a wand, though. You haven't got a wand? began Seamus. Ron turned suddenly to Harry. 
Why can't they help? What? They can help, he dropped his voice and said, so that none of them could hear but Hermione, who stood between them. We don't know where it is. We've got to find it fast. We don't have to tell them it's a horcrux. Harry looked from Ron to Hermione, who murmured, I think Ron's right. We don't even know what we're looking for. We need them. And when Harry looked unconvinced, You don't have to do everything alone, Harry. Harry thought fast. His scar was his scar still prickling. His head threatened threatening to split again. Dumbledore had warned him against telling anyone but Ron and Hermione about the Horcruxes. Secrets and lies. That's how he grew up and Albus. He was a natural. Was he turning into Dumbledore? Keeping his secrets clutched to his chest, afraid to trust? But Dumbledore addressed Snape. And where had that led? To murder at the top of the highest tower. All right, he said quietly to... Oh, all right. <laughs> he said quietly to the other two. Okay. He called... Okay, he called to the room at large. And all noise ceased. Fred and George, who had been cracking jokes for the benefit of those nearest, fell silent. And all of them looked alert, excited. There's something we need to find, said Harry. I'm Harry said. <laughs> Harry said. Something, something that'll help us overthrow you-know-who. It's here at Hogwarts, but we don't know where. It might have belonged to Ravenclaw. Has anyone heard of an object like that? Has anyone ever come across something with her eagle on it, for instance? He looked hopefully toward the little group of Ravenclaws to pet. Padma, Michael, Terry, and Cho, but it was Luna who answered, perched on the arm of Ginny's hair. Well, there's her lost diadem. I told you about it, remember, Harry? The lost diadem of Ravenclaw? Daddy's trying to duplicate it. Yeah, but the lost diadem, said Michael Corner, rolling his eyes, is lost, Luna. That's sort of the point. When was it lost? asked Harry. Centuries ago, they say, said Cho, Cho, and Harry's heart sank. Professor Flitwick says the diadem vanished with Flit, with Ravenclaw herself. People have looked, but she appealed to her fellow Ravenclaws. Nobody's ever found a trace of it, have they? They all shook their heads. Sorry, but what is a diadem? asked Ron. It's a kind of crown, said Terry Boot. Ravenclaws was supposed to have magical powers, enhance the wisdom of the wearer. Yes, Daddy's Raxbert siphons, but Harry cut across Luna. And none of you have ever seen anything that looks like it? They all shook their heads again. Harry looked at Ron and Hermione, and his own disappointment was mirrored back at him. An object that had been lost this long, and apparently without trace, did not seem like a good candidate for the Horcrux hidden in the castle. Before he could formulate a new question, however... Cho spoke again. If you'd like to see what the diadem's supposed to look like, I could take you up to our common room and show you, Harry. Ravenclaw's wearing it in her statue. Harry's scar scorched again. For a moment, the room of requirements swam before him, and he saw instead the dark earth soaring beneath him and felt the great snake wrapped around his shoulders. Voldemort was flying again, whether to the underground lake or here, to the castle, he did not know. Either way, there was hardly any time left. He's on the move, he said quietly. He's on the move. 
he said quietly to Ron and Hermione. He glanced at Cho and then back at them. Listen, I know it's not much of a lead, but I'm going to go and look at Ethis' statue. At least find out what the diadem looks like. Wait for me here and keep, you know, the other one safe. Cho had got to her feet, but Ginny said rather fiercely, No, Luna will take Harry, won't you, Luna? Oh, yes, I'd like to, said Luna happily. And Cho sat down again, looking disappointed. How do we get out? Harry asked Neville. Over here. He led Harry and Luna to a corner, where a small cupboard opened into a steep staircase. It comes out somewhere different every day, so they've never been able to find it, he said. Only trouble is, we never know exactly where we're going to end up when we go out. Be careful, Harry. They're always patrolling the corridors at night. No problem, said Harry. See you in a bit. He and Luna hurried up the staircase, which was long, lit by torches, and turned corners in unexpected places. At last they reached what appeared to be solid wall. Get under here, Harry told Luna, pulling out the invisibility cloak and throwing it over both of them. He gave the wall a little push. It melted away at his touch, and they slipped outside. Harry glanced back and saw that it, was, it had resealed itself at once. They were standing in a dark corridor. Harry pulled Luna back into the shadows, fumbled in the pouch around his neck, and took out the marauder's map. Holding it close to his nose, he searched and located his and Luna's dots at last. "'We're up on the fifth floor,' he whispered, watching Filch moving away from them a corridor ahead. "'Come on, this way.' They crept off. Harry had prowl- <laughs> "'Harry had prowled the castle. He's a castle prowler. "'Castle prowler.' Ew, you know what? They're probably... Okay, I don't mean to tarnish the good name of Hogwarts, but there's probably some prowlers, if you know what I mean. How nasty. Anyway. Harry had prowled the castle at night many times before, but never had his heart hammered. Never had his heart hammered this fast. Never had so much depended on his safe passage through the place. Through... Through, yes, that says through, squares of moonlight upon the floor, past suits of armor whose helmets creaked at the sound of their soft footsteps, around corners beyond which who knew what lurked. Harry and Luna walked, checking the marauder's map whenever light permitted, twice pausing to allow a ghost to pass without drawing attention to themselves. He expected to encounter an obstacle at any moment. His worst fear was Peeves and he strained his ears with every step to hear the first telltale signs of the poltergeist's approach. This way, Harry, breathed Luna, plucking his sleeve and pulling him toward a spiral staircase. They climbed in tight, dizzying circles. Harry had never been up here before. At last, they reached a door. There was no handle and no keyhole, nothing but a plain expanse of aged wood and a bronze knocker in the shape of an eagle. Luna reached out a pale hand which looked eerie floating in midair, unconnected to arm or body. She knocked once, and in the silence it sounded to Harry like a cannon blast. At once, the beak of the eagle opened, but instead of a bird's call, a soft, musical voice said, Which came first, the phoenix or the flame? <laughs> hmm, what do you think, Harry? said Luna, looking thoughtful. What? Isn't there just a password? Oh, no. You've got to answer a question, said Luna. What if you get it wrong? Well, 
You have to wait for somebody who gets it right, said Luna. That way you learn, you see. Yeah, trouble is, we can't really afford to wait for anyone else, Luna. No, I see what you mean, said Luna seriously. Well then, I think the answer is that a circle has no beginning. Well reasoned, said the voice, and the door swung open. The deserted Ravenclaw common room was a wide circular room, airier than any Harry had ever seen at Hogwarts. Graceful arched windows punctuated the walls, which were hung with blue and bronze silks. By day, the Ravenclaws would have a spectacular view of the surrounding mountains. The ceiling was domed and painted with stars, which were echoed in the midnight blue carpet. There were tables, chairs, and bookcases, and in a niche in a niche, <laughs> dang it, I don't know how to say this word, in a niche, opposite the door stood a tall statue of white marble. Harry recognized Rowena Ravenclaw from the bust he had seen at Luna's house. The statue, <laughs> when I first read that from the bust, <laughs> you would. <laughs> the statue stood beside a door that led, he guessed, to dormitories above. He strode right up to the marble woman, and she seemed to look back at him with a quizzical half-smile on her face, beautiful yet slightly intimidating. What? Okay, whatever. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna dive into that. A delicate-looking circlet had been reproduced in marble on top of her head. It was not unlike the tiara Fleur had worn at her wedding. There were tiny words etched into it. Harry stepped out from under the cloak and climbed up onto Ravenclaw's plinth to read them. Wit beyond measure is man's greatest treasure. Which makes you pretty skint. Witless, said a cackling voice. Harry whirled around, slipped off the plinth, and landed on the floor. The sloping, shouldered figure of Electo Caro was standing before him. And even as Harry raised his wand, she pressed a stubby forefinger to the skull and Snake branded on her forearm. Yuck. Well, that's the end of chapter 29. And I'm going to have to turn my mouse back on to turn the recording off. So, Lady Gator.